the craziest thing about Austin? Is it South by Southwest? Is it music everywhere? Is it uh, the hot, hot weather? What is the craziest part about Austin? And I said, well, honestly, the craziest part about Austin is H-E-B. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but something crazy happens to me every time I go to H-E-B. I try to explain it to people, and I was like, well, it's like Trader Joe's meets King Supers. That's what we call our grocery stores, King Supers. You can call a grocery store anything. It's just like, that's where the food is. That's what we're going to call it. So in Colorado, we call them King Supers, but it's Trader Joe's meets a grocery store meets Walmart on Black Friday. That is H-E-B. That is what it's like. And I don't know what it is, but every time I'm there, something crazy happens. Last week I was there and I was kind of pushing my cart around and a woman came and she's like, Rob. And I turned around and I was like, oh, hey. And I turned around and I looked at her and have you ever had that moment where someone says your name and you're looking at them and you're like, oh, I should know you. I should know you. And so my brain's racing and I was like, she's from one chapel. She's from one chapel. I just met her. And so I'm looking at her and I'm kind of trying to discover in conversation, like, where's she from? And I realized, no, she's not from one chapel. And I was like, hmm, hmm, And so I was like, oh, my kid's school. She goes to my kid's school. And so I'm asking and kind of bringing up our kid's school where they go. And she's like, oh, okay. And then I was like, I know what it is. She's read one of my books. I've written some books. I'm kind of famous. And so I was like, she knows me. She's heard of me. She's read one of my books. And so finally she's there, you know, and I see she hasn't read any of my books. And then I'm like, I have to confess something to you. I don't know how we know each other. And she's like, oh, we don't. I just saw your name tag right there. <laughs> <laughs> So I just left church, <laughs> still wearing my name tag, and I was like, right. And so, uh, but something crazy always happens at H-E-B. Sometimes I bring my four daughters. Do we have a picture right here? This is, I have four kids, and so this is a picture of them. This is, they're not that stretched out in real life, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's Abby, Claire, uh, there they go. That's Juliana, Abby, Claire, and Emma Jane. And so these are my four daughters. And um, I, sometime I take them with me to H-E-B. And so we'll be in there. And every time I go with my four daughters, without fail, some guy stops me and says, oh, you going to try for a boy? <laughs> and I look at him and I look dead serious. And I say, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I call my wife. Honey, we've been doing it wrong. You can try for a boy. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, that's not what I say. And so, uh, awkward conversation. I'm like, no, you know, we just kind of have girls, whatever else. And so, uh, then walk on. But it's amazing how many times when you have four girls, people say that to you. And it makes me think that in life, there are two things. There are things that we have no choice, no control over. Things that just happen to us. Things that are circumstance in our life. And then there are things that we do have choices over. And that's what I want to take a few minutes today and talk to you about. And so I don't get to speak very often. And so I thought if I can speak about one topic to one chapel, what I'd love to talk about is choice because I think there are very few more important things. And in the Bible, uh, it actually starts out the very, we call this an inciting incident in screenwriting, but the very beginning begins with a choice. And so if you will, open your uh, Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And so the very, very first thing we see is it describes creation. After creation, it says this, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to, keep, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, the first thing God did, he created man, and then he gave him a choice. The first thing God ever did was give humankind a choice. It set up kind of how this whole world was going to work. And it's a pretty incredible thing that he did. I mean, I can't imagine it would be like me putting my kids in a room and I would say, hey, you can have any salad that you want, but do not eat that box of donuts right in the middle. Don't do it. It was such a temptation for humankind that he put that tree right there. And it was a test. It was a test of character. And God, he knew what was going to happen. He knew how things would turn out. He knew that people, he knew that Adam and Eve would eventually go and eat of the fruit of that garden. And so why did he do that? If he wouldn't have put that tree in the garden, if he wouldn't have given that, us that choice for good and evil for sin, we would still be living in a garden. We would still be, uh, the world would look very, very different. So why did he give us a choice? Because he trusts us. He thinks we're worth it. He thinks it's a risk that he's willing to take. I know that with my four kids, I go and we talk about choices all the time. We talk about good decisions and bad decisions and how your choices define you. And the reality is choices define our character. Choices define our character. We understand the character of someone by the choices that they make. I think it's an interesting time. My background, uh, for those of you who don't know my full story, I've worked in church for a long time, but I also studied film, I studied screenwriting, and I think it's an interesting time in cinema, what's going on. We have movies like Wreck-It Ralph, where the good guy is actually the bad guy. We have, uh, in 2016, we've had Batman versus Superman. We've had Captain America Civil War, where the good guys were kind of fighting each other, and it confuses us, and it says, who, who really is the good guy here? How do we know? And when I watch things like Wreck-It Ralph with my kids, I'll say, They'll say, okay, so who's the good guy here? And I say, we'll know who the good guy is by the choices that they make. The choices will define these characters. And so I think uh, it's important for us. But I, as I look at my kids as well, I know that we live in an age of unprecedented choice. When I was a kid, we had three channels. Three channels, didn't have cable, anything else. My kids now have Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. There are so many things that they can scroll through. They can pick something. If a commercial comes on, they have no idea what it is. They're like, what is this? Why'd the show go away? I'm like, well, it's a commercial. Because they can choose whatever channel they want, and they don't have to sit through anything anymore. When I was a kid, we had Burger King or we had McDonald's. Those were the two choices for burgers. Now we live in this unprecedented age of burger paradise. We have P. Terry's and Hop Dottie and In-N-Out and Five Guys, so many amazing burgers. My kids still want McDonald's in the midst of all that. <laughs> but we live in an age of, where we can, of unprecedented choice. And I actually think choice is something that we're crippled by in our culture. Choice is something we're crippled by in our culture. I, I did some research and I was like, I wonder how many choices, how many decisions we actually have to make every day. So I, I did some research on it and I found that we make up to 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions. Now the way that this article defined decisions was little things. When to sit, when to stand, what clothes to wear, when to change lanes as we drive, when to check email, when to check our phone, things like that. We're making decisions all the time. Within a minute, we'll often make many, many decisions. And so we make those. 
Now, those are many decisions. There, there are more conservative estimates say we make 500 choices a day, and 225.6 of those are about food. And, these, and the way that this article defined choices were more uh, forks in the road, more like, should I pick the salad or should I pick the burger? Should I stay home or should I work a little later so I can get home or should I uh, leave so I can get home? Sorry, I messed that one up. Uh, should, I, should I write that paper now or should I binge watch another episode on Netflix? Should I put the kids down for a nap or should I just let them go to bed a little bit early? We make about 500 of those type of choices every single day. And what's interesting is when you spend time with someone, you kind of know the type of choice that they're going to make. I can go to a restaurant, my wife can usually know what I'm going to order. Does it have bacon? Yes. Okay, order that for Rob. That's kind of how it works. And so we can order for our spouses, we can usually guess the type of choice that we're going to make. We can know how our boss will react to certain things that we do. We know that the choices that they'll make when we spend time with them. But there are a few times when we find not just these little choices every day, but when we find real fork in the road moments. It's kind of like, who here has seen Castaway before? The movie Castaway, Tom Hanks, okay. I'm not going to spoil much here, but at the very end of the movie, the very last shot, he goes, and he, he gets saved, sorry. He goes, and he's, uh, <laughs> he goes, and he's driving, and the very last shot of the movie is he comes to a four-way stop. And if you remember the shot in the movie, he's there, and he kind of stops, and he looks, and there's a road that goes this way, road that goes that way, and a road that goes that way. And it's kind of a symbolic metaphor for which way am I going to go? What is my life going to become? What shape is that going to take? And we have maybe once a year, maybe less than that, we have those type of choices where it's a fork in the road moment of like, okay, this is not one of those that I can make snap. This is not one of my 500 decisions a day. This is one of those choices that will really define me. And so how do we approach those choices? I wanna talk about that for a moment. I think there are a couple of big steps to making uh, those decisions that I'm talking about, those fork in the road moments. Number one, always begin with prayer. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And I think we begin with prayer, we begin these choices that way, because it's not just something that, oh, prayer is a nice thing to do, but when we actually begin a choice with prayer, when we stop and don't just make pros and cons lists or everything else, but actually stop and pray, it helps us not only hear from God, but it helps us get our heart and mind right. The next step after that, step number two, if you're making a big choice, is get wise counsel. Step two, get wise counsel. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So I think whenever you're facing a choice, sometimes it's too much for you to know by yourself of like, okay, which decision should I make? Which direction should I go here? And so I think it's important to have people in your life, people, and part of the way that you find who that wise counsel is, is you find people living their life in a way that you want to be living and say, get their advice and say, how did you do that? How did you make that decision? Your spouses should probably also be part of that wise counsel as well, where you can, there are people that God has put in our life who uh, checks and balances where we can go and really process these tough decisions that we make. Step number three in making a choice. I think this is really important. Know your goals or the fruit you hope for. Jesus says it like this in John 15. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So he's calling us as we make choices, as we live our life. He said, I chose you. And do you know who he chose? All of us, everyone sitting in this room. When he put that tree there, he said, okay, humankind, what I'm gonna give them is a choice. I chose you. And I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so as we make these choices, we should ask, what kind of fruit will last? And so um, I think a lot of times the, the grid that we have as we think about that is we think uh, in 2016 especially, we think my choice will build my life. In this day and age, we think I worked hard, I take responsibility, my life is a success because I worked hard. And I think that's true. I read stories of Andrew Carnegie, Steve Jobs, Phil Knight, all these business moguls, and I think, oh, they're, they're so successful because of their choices. But I think we've all, a lot of times when we look at our choices, all we look at is our own lives. And so what I want to do real quick is I want to tell a story. And this is a story, I was an English major, and so this is a story that we read in English Lit class. It's a famous story that was written around the turn of the century, and it's called The Lady or the Tiger. Lady or the Tiger. And this story goes like this. It was set around, kind of imagine the time of Princess Bride. Who's seen Princess Bride before? Remember that movie? Yes. Okay, so set around the time of Princess Bride, there was a king, and he was tired of punishing people. He was tired of making decisions. And so he came up with a new system of judging people. He said, you know what? I'm not going to judge people anymore. I'm going to let fate decide. So he created this big coliseum. Imagine like Mile High Stadium or UT Stadium or whatever stadium you want to imagine. And it was just like that. And he created two doors. And behind one door was a tiger, bloodthirsty tiger. And so if you open up that door up, the tiger would go and jump out and kill you. Behind the other door was a beautiful lady. And so if you open that door up, you would go be sent off to your own private island and get to marry this beautiful lady, and that's what would happen. Um, and so there were, the story is called The Lady or the Tiger. And he would always switch up which doors the lady was behind and which door the tiger was behind. So he was there, and he was uh, being a king, but this king also had a daughter, and this daughter was beautiful, kind of like Princess Buttercup. And then uh, also there was a young servant boy, not a king, not a noble, but this boy was more like Wesley from Princess Bride. And so they would go and they started to talk to each other. They started to become friends. And as he told her things, she would say, hey, can you do this? And what would he say? He'd say, as you wish. And so he would go and they, would, they started falling slowly, slowly in love. But this was not allowed because she was a princess and he was just a lowly servant. So one of the king's... One of the king's uh, Knights went and saw that the princess was talking with this servant, and so he told the king what was going on, and he said, that is a punishable offense. Have this man arrested. So the man was arrested, and he was going to be put on trial in the Colosseum, where the one door there was a lady, and the other door there was a tiger. And so this man was, he was there, and he was going to be pushed out the next day, and the princess was heartbroken. She said, I can't believe this is going to happen. So there was this guard that was in charge of which door the lady was going to be behind and which door the tiger was going to be behind. And she said, you have to tell me. You have to tell me which one. And so the guard said, okay, I'll tell you. 
So now it's the day of the trial. The little servant boy gets pushed out. He's there in the big stadium. There are people all around. He's looking up, wondering what to do. There are big signs. Some say lady, some say tiger. People are chanting, chant, chant, chant. And he's walking towards the doors. And as he's walking there, he looks back at the princess. And the princess goes and points to this door right here. And so he nods and says, okay. And he steps forward to the door and he opens it. And I ask you, what came out? The lady or the tiger? Who says the lady came out? Lady. Who says the tiger came out? The tiger. You are bloodthirsty. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) And so... This is a true story, not a true story, but this is a story that was actually written. It was published in a magazine. And the story that I just told you ends exactly the way that I just told you, where he says, what, and I know you're like, oh my goodness, what came out, the lady or the tiger? This story came out in a magazine and it went viral, at least viral for the 1800s. People were reading it. They were sharing it. It was going all over the place. And everyone was saying, what happened? You have to tell us what came out, the lady or the tiger? And so finally the author at the end of his life, he's sitting down for an interview and he said, okay, the important thing is not what I say came out. The important thing is what would you do? Who would you pick? Who would you have come out? And he said, this story was written to illustrate something in your heart. And so the lady, the lady in this story is the right decision that will cost us something. The right to, a lot of times we're like, why do people make bad choices? Why do we do it? Why do we make bad choices? Because a lot of times the good choices are the difficult choices. They're the choices that will cost us something. Jesus, in his very first sermon, it was his most famous sermon. And so he was there, and it, it, this was his version of I Have a Dream or the Gettysburg Address called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And as he stood to stand there, he said, I'm going to flip your mind about what you've thought about choices. You've thought your goal is to become a king or to become a person of power. But what it actually is is this. In Matthew 5, verse 2, he opened his mouth for his big, most famous sermon and said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We just heard a story this morning. We just heard a story of Fatima who went and said, I am a Christian, and she's going to lose so much power. I don't even know what happened in that story. You'll have to go to the table to find out, but we don't know what happened, but it cost her dearly. A couple of years ago, I got to go to Africa. I got to go to Togo, which is a small country kind of on the western uh, shore of Africa there, and uh, Small little country. I'd never really heard of it or didn't know much about it, but I got to go there. And uh, I think I have this picture of me kind of with all the African kids. They, they love the camera, and they're, they're like, oh, look, a white guy with not a lot of hair. That's adorable. And so uh, saw, saw that, got to see them. Uh, but I was there to tell, go ahead and bring up the next picture. I was there to uh, film this story of a young man uh, named Edo. 
And this, this man actually, this is a story from when he was younger. He's grown up some, but we were there to tell this story. And he has an incredible story. And I think it's a story that illustrates picking the lady for someone. He was there and he was going to school in Africa. And his father was a fetish priest, which meant kind of a picture of the witch doctor. He was the one, if someone couldn't get pregnant, you'd go there. If you needed healing, you'd go to him. His father ruled this village. And so as he was young, he went off to school and one of his teachers there started to talk about Jesus. And he said, well, I have to know more. I have to know what happened. And so he learned about Jesus and he said, that is the true God. I take him into my heart. So he prayed and took him into his heart. He went back to his village and he knew his father would be so angry if he talked about Jesus. But he said, it's a risk I have to take. And so he went and he began to tell his whole village about Jesus. He made that choice. His father got so angry that when Edo went to sleep that night, his father snuck into his room, took out a knife, started to plunge it down, and his mother caught his hand. And he, she screamed, run, Edo, run. And this young boy went, ran out into the African bush. He lived out there for a month, eating, drinking, surviving, barely surviving. He lived out there for a month. All he had was his Bible as he was in the bush and found a way to survive. And it cost him so much to share that story. It, co- it nearly cost him his life. It cost him his home. It cost him his family. He went on to become a missionary. He went on to become, to actually go and uh, see to every home in his country hearing about Jesus. He oversaw a massive effort. And his father got very sick at the end of his life. And so his father came back to live with Edo. And his father, at the very end of his life, said, clearly, you know the true God. Will you pray for me? And so Edo went and prayed for his father to be healed, to be saved. Edo picked the lady for his father's life. This was not the easy decision. This was the difficult decision, the decision that he, that he made. There's also the tiger, the tiger. And it, it's interesting because the tiger, when I said that one, everyone's like, yep, she killed him. <laughs> yep, that's what she did. Maybe because you think princesses are evil, that's why you did it, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, But the tiger is the wrong decision that makes us feel better, but costs someone else. Philippians 2.3 says this, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And so I wanna wanna end on this story. This is sort of a vulnerable story for me, honest story to tell. Um, This story happened way back when I was in high school back in the 90s, back when uh, Vanilla Ice was cool. <laughs> and so it uh, happened then, and this story happens with, is the story of two girls. Girl number one was, um, she w- this was the 90s, and she was like a gothic sort of girl, 90s gothic, fingernails painted black. She had crystals, she had black hair, she was just all that sort of thing. And so I went, and she sat right by me in history class, senior year, and I'd sit by her every day, and we started to have conversations. And as we had conversations, eventually it came up that I was a pastor's kid, and so she's like, oh my gosh, a pastor's kid, those kids are the worst. And so I went and started talking with her anyway, and we started talk history, idea, big ideas would come up, ideas of philosophy, ideas of culture. And so as those ideas came up, we started to have a really honest dialogue. And she's like, you know, I've met a lot of Christians in my life, but I've never quite met a Christian like you. You're honest, you're humble, you're thoughtful, you care about me. And more than anything, every Christian I've ever seen is a hypocrite. And you're genuine. You're the real deal. And I took that as a huge compliment 
because I, I knew that I, from the beginning of our conversation to the very end of the year, what, how much I had invested in her life. The other, the other girl in this story is the type of girl who like, uh, when, when I saw her, I'd be walking down the hall and then all of a sudden like light would shine from heaven and her wind would blow in the hair and I could hear mermaids like, oh, and I was like, growl, who is that? That was this girl, and so she went, and uh, all of us actually went on this huge senior year camping trip where we went down and we sailed, uh, or we river rafted down this river, and I remember one night where uh, we were there and we were all hanging around the fire, and the, the girl, the mermaid-haired girl, the beautiful girl was there, and she was sitting right by me, and she leaned over to me, and she's like, hey, do you wanna uh, sneak off and go come back to my tent? And I said what you'd expect any pastor's kid to say in that moment, yes, I do. And so <laughs> I went and we snuck back to her tent and there were a couple other people there and she, we were all sitting around in a circle and the next thing I knew, she brought out a bag of something that looked kind of like oregano. <laughs> and so I was like, what is that? And she began to load it into a pipe and then everyone went around and began smoking it. And so then they passed it to me and handed it to me and I knew, I knew what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to say no, I'm supposed to flee, I'm supposed to run from this situation. I could hear my youth pastor saying, if you start doing drugs, you'll be addicted, it'll be horrible, don't do it, don't do it, don't take it. But you know what I thought? I thought, I can do this one time. It's not gonna be that big a deal. I'm strong in my faith, I'm fine, I can do this. And the best thing is, Jesus will forgive me for doing it. And so, what did I do? I took the drugs. We went, about a few minutes later, I wanted chocolate like I've never wanted in my whole life. It was crazy. And so I was there and I was like, oh, I'm gonna go get some chocolate. So I went and I unzipped the tent and this tent was still filled with smoke. And as I was stepping out, I saw the gothic girl and she was standing right there. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I thought you were different. And here's the truth, one chapel. I'm here today, I'm in church, God's with me, my family's doing great. I didn't fall into sin, I didn't fall into some deep addiction, but I lost my chance to ever speak into her life again. I chose the tiger for her life because it was easy, it didn't cost me anything, but it cost her everything. I have no idea where she is today, I have no idea what happened. And so I think as we think about our choices, that's what's so important, Marty, we can go ahead and come on up here. Is that we should know these decisions, sometimes when we think about our choices, we think, I'm just building up my own life, but the gospel calls us to make choices as if we're living for everyone all around us. The beautiful thing is this when we're making choices. Number four, you can always go back to the drawing board. Second Corinthians 5.16 says this, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we are regarding Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is new in Christ, the creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. I know for some of you today, as I was telling that story, there are choices that you've thought about, weights that you've thought about, things that you wish you could, oh, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could have that moment back. The reality is we can never have those moments back. Those consequences are real. 
but Jesus' love and forgiveness is real as well. And in all of us today, he wants to make us a new creation. So in just a moment here, we're gonna take communion. And as we come to the Lord's table together, I just wanna invite you, if there are any, if there are any things that have been weighing on you, choices that you've made, where your life is right now. Marty talked about it earlier. Things haven't gone the way you thought they would. I shouldn't be here right now. Things shouldn't look like this right now. I know the reality of those choices. I know the heaviness of them. But I know what scripture says, that every one of us is a new creation. So as we take communion today, we do that to remember what he did for us. We do that to remember that we can take any of our sins, any of our mistakes, any of our shortcomings, and lay them down. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for forgiveness. So I'm gonna pray in just a moment, and then I invite all of us to take communion. We practice open communion at one chapel, which means if anyone professes Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're welcome to take communion with us. If you're not gonna take communion, we just ask that you step through the line with everyone else so we don't have to step past you. The ushers will go and dismiss people on the right, and then we'll all go and take communion together. So pray with me, one chapel. Lord, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for everyone here, Lord. I thank you for the creations that you've done in our hearts and our lives, Lord. I thank you for the choices that we are making, Lord, to follow you every single day, Lord. And I pray for any of those things that are weighing on us, Lord, any of those things that feel heavy, any of those things that are distracting us, Lord, I pray that we'd lay them at your feet, Lord. I pray that no decision would come between the most important one, and that is our decision to follow you, Jesus. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your redemption. Be with us today in your name.